subscribe and rate it. Five stars. Merry Christmas, Cliff. Harry Squatchmas to you, Bobo. Nice. It's that time of year. Yeah, it's a, it's cold as crap outside, and yeah, it, it's that sort of time of year. Of course, by the time people are listening to it, I guess it Squatchmas was yesterday, but it doesn't really matter. They're with us now. And we also can't forget that Happy Hanukkahs and Merry Festivus. Absolutely, absolutely. Uh, Kwanzaa. We got uh, the winter solstice as well. There's all sorts of reasons to celebrate this time of year. Yeah, I, I don't know. I, I'm, I'm not really a holiday kind of guy. Never really have been, honestly. Not even Festivus? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm just, just not beyond you know October 20th. I'm not really. I don't celebrate a whole lot. October 31st. Oh well, that's my wife. Yeah, Melissa celebrates Halloween, and therefore I must, and I do, and I love it. Um, but you know, mostly because I love my wife. So. What about the airing, airing grievances on Festivus? I don't know. If I'm airing grievances, I'm mostly just inside my own head. Or do it here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, or, or come on the air and talk to you, talk to you about various things. <laughs> oh, just grumpy old Cliff, right? Yeah, <laughs> I sound grumpy now, right? This is easy to be squatchy. This is easy to be grinchy. Grinchy. Well, you know what I do celebrate is uh, uh, Melissa's birthday, which is, of course, is coming this week. And you know who she shares a birthday with? Her twin sister? No, John Wilk from Squatchatusets. Yeah, John. I just talked to him yesterday. I called him when, when I was fleeing from the earthquake possible tsunami. I called him at like five in the morning his time. <laughs> and that set off a whole tsunami of other people caring about you. You know how many uh, texts and emails I've handled about um, your safety and your well-being <laughs> in the last couple of days? Yeah, it was, it was kind of hectic, but I mean, we're fine. Yeah, tell us the whole story. Like, back up to the very beginning. Like, you went to bed, I'm assuming, and what time did this thing strike? I think it was like 2.30, something like that, somewhere around 2.30. And, of course, for people who have not heard, um, I, there was a giant earthquake in Bobo's Neck of the Woods in Northern California, just a few miles offshore in the Pacific Ocean. But it was a huge one. It was like a 6.4 on the Richter scale, I believe. And that is huge. I've never felt any, the largest earthquake I, I've been in is like a five point something. That one in 1988, I think it was down in Southern California. That was a five point something. It was big, but a six something, that's a hundred times more. Because I think the Richter scale is an exponential scale. Yes, it's, it's, it's 10 times more each one, I think, something like that. Or Yeah, because I know I was in the exact same spot. It was one year to the day from the 6.2 we had last year. And uh, this was way, noticed me way more violent. Like I didn't, I didn't even leave that time. And this one was like way, way more hectic. Well, yeah, you're the kind of guy that tsunamis flee from. <laughs> so yeah, I was just came back from the bathroom. I laid it back down in bed. And I was just starting to doze off. And I started feeling like that, you know, like that, you know how it starts. Like you get that rumbling and a little shaking sound. And like you hear the china and all the, Plates and dishes start rattling. and I do know that. I was trying to explain that to uh, – describe that to Melissa this morning because we were talking about the earthquake. And um, and I said, yeah, it's really weird when there's a big one. You can hear it or feel it. It's like a di- – it's half hearing, half feeling. You know, you can you can sense it coming from a distance. And like there's like – and then you just, you just got – it crescendos. And you're wondering, is it going to get stronger? Is it going to get stronger? Is it yeah. Yeah, it's scary, man. It's really scary to hear that coming. And so that's, that's what you started hearing, and but you weren't even asleep yet. No, it, it started really shaking. All of a sudden, the bed started really rocking back and forth. At first, I was like, oh, I'm just going to ride it out. Then it kept getting louder and louder. And Well, I turned on the light right away, and the light went out pretty after, I don't know, it was on for maybe 30 seconds or something. I got up. I was trying to put on my pants, but the house was – you know, like those old 1950s, 60s, uh, like they had those, whatever, like those bomb-proof cameras, they'd film the shockwave of like a nu- nuclear blast bomb going off and showing the houses, like how they bent, how far they'd bend before they actually tore apart. Uh-huh. That's what this house looked like, dude. It was flexing so hard, like, then it was in the ups and downs, like stuff bouncing, like furniture bouncing and stuff, and stuff coming off the walls. It was, uh, it, I can't believe how, for how, and how much noise it was, it was loud. This was, this was a really loud earthquake. 
And the, the momentum magnitude, like the one that measures like the violent aspects of this was like a really high for only being a 6.4. It was, it was a pretty, really strong, violent jolt. And it was just, and Creed just, she was not calm, cool, and collected. She was screaming and I had one leg on and I was hopping around trying to get my other leg, my right leg in. My big toe got caught like in a fold in the pant leg. So I was trying to like balance to get that. And then it's just this big jolt hit and just threw me face first into the table. Wow. Wow. So, so did, what did Krita do? Did she like throw you over her shoulder and just run out of the house or something or what? what, what no, went on she, here? she was yelling at me to hurry up, get going. I was trying to get my, uh, original first edition books like Patterson and, um, some stuff like that. She was screaming to get out of the house and I was like, I gotta get this stuff. <laughs> so I go, well, we're taking two cars. We don't want to, we don't want to go in one car. You take your car, I'll take mine. So she took off and I got out of here like about five minutes after her probably. And now when you were leaving the house, well, let me ask you this. Um, cause uh, for people, I, I, you and I grew up in California. We're kind of used to earthquakes in some sort of way. It's kind of like a strong wind in some way. Like they just happen. This is one of these things you grow up with. And there's several kinds of earthquakes. Um, one of the kinds that this was not, or I don't know if maybe it was, I'm, I guess that's my question. But one of the kinds is like, you're sitting around and all of a sudden everything shifts like two inches to the left and you'll, what? Whoa, what was that? Oh, that's an earthquake. But there's another kind. Then it sounds by your description that this this might have been this kind of earthquake, and I'm not a geologist. I don't know much about this, but the kind that kind of comes in and rolls for a while, you know, like like a, like incoming tides of movement with the Earth. It was that, but it was it was a mix. Well, there's like four different kinds of magnitude they measure. Everyone knows like the one Richter scale. I think is that's the S waves, right, or P waves. I can't remember which one that is now. But then there's the M, M waves, are like those sharp like punches, like in the middle, like when it's like doing the rolling, rolling. It was a combo. It was the rolling with the punches, like the real hard, sharp, violent shakes, but still with the rolling undulations. And it was hard. I mean, we couldn't even really, we were holding on to stuff, trying to walk around. And it was, yeah, it was pretty, it was sketchy for sure. Then, all, you know, the power, of course, went out. And Well, how long did it last? How long did the, the, the actual shaking last until it subsided? I don't know. I've heard all kinds of different estimates. I'm, I, I got to look it up. I'm not sure. So what? What someone told me it sounded about right was forty five seconds. Wow, that's a long time to be uh, in a sketchy earth shaking, literally earth shaking situation. Yeah, other people said like from start to finish like like a minute and a half, but I don't know because it seems so long when you're in it. Like five seconds seems like twenty, you know, kind of thing. Yeah, it's like when you see a Sasquatch or something. I, it was a minute. We're looking at each other for a minute. No, it's like five seconds. Yeah, but yeah, the time time is elastic in those situations for sure. You left? You just left? Were you evacuated or did you just choose to leave? No, we left before they even did an evacuation or a tsunami warning or anything. And then when I was driving into town, um, I called John Wilk because, like, uh, he used to be part of FEMA. You know, so I thought, whoever I call is going to be stoked if they hear, like, the tsunami hit while I'm driving <laughs> or a bigger one. I was like, that'd be pretty cool. You can say, I was the last guy on the phone with Bose when the tsunami hit. I heard the water hit and everything. So I was talking to John and he looked on and he said, said no tsunami warning that was after i've been driving for about 10 or 15 minutes i got over the bridges they, they really reinforced the bridges out here in the humboldt bay they put like 30 million into retrofitting them to survive like a massive earthquake so i felt pretty good about that but it, it goes to it, it uh touches ground on um a couple islands as you go across and those could totally liquefy and just you know the bridges would be standing with the the surface level part of the road that's on the on the islands that that stuff could all liquidate real easily. So the, you could have the bridges, but then nothing in between the bridges, you know. So I, once I got over the bridges, I felt pretty good. I was like, all right, I'm safe now. Yeah, yeah, because you live on a sand spit at the, at the end of the day, and I don't know if there's any you know bedrock underneath you at all. No, it's all sand. It's we feel it real. I'm I'm on top of a sand dune on an old like 120 year old house on pier and post. And it it really feels it. It's already damaged from the other earthquakes, and the noises it made it was so loud. Like it was it was it was a. I mean, even with Karina screaming full blast, I couldn't even hardly hear her over the noise of the house and the ground and the neighbor stuff and stuff falling. Well, a hundred and twenty year old house has certainly weathered a handful of earthquakes about that same size. So at least there's some uh, um, safety or you know um, some some comfort in that, I guess. Well, yes and no, because, 
you know, they'll, they'll tell you like, well, just because it's rot- that means it's weaker and weaker and weaker. Not that it's that strong. <laughs> yeah, I guess it's like saying, well, that eighty-five-year-old man, he's had the before. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> he should be a professional boxer. He can take a punch. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe it's something similar to that. Okay, so wait, you drive into town. Where now? Where where did where did you go in town? I mean, Denny's. What's open at that time? Nothing. Well, everything. Whatever. Twenty-four hours was closed because like all the power, all the power, the whole county lost power. Mm-hmm. So it was just dark, and there was dude. It was crazy. It was like not night of the living dead, but like uh, like I don't care what night you've been at, like New Year's Eve, hollow like Halloween or Fourth of July, like where there's a lot of cars that night on the road. This was the most cars I'd ever seen around Eureka in the 101. Like in the middle of the night, it was there was cars and people everywhere. Everyone was freaked out. So where did everybody go? They just like line in the streets of Eureka or something? Yeah, I don't know. They're just like milling around and stuff, like pulling over, like wherever. There's people just parked all over, and we drove all. We drove way up. We drove up by the zoo. The zoo? Where's that? It's probably about three, four miles inland. Now, did you get get some elevation basically to do that? Yeah, yeah. Not, I mean, not a ton, but I'm sure, like even like that big Japanese tsunami in 2005, like Fukushima one. I don't think that would even hit where we were. Okay, yeah. So you basically went inland to avoid any sort of tidal waves that might be coming in. Right, right. Yeah, because that's a real concern. Yeah, oh, for sure. Yeah, my house, like for that uh, big, like the, the big 8.0 or larger one, they have that, uh, the zones they have, ours is 100% death rate. Oh, jeez. <laughs> Well, I've talked to you about that before. What, didn't you have a contingency plan for that? Like some sort of a, well, I'm just going to grab onto the nearest log floating by and ride it out like a surfer? Or is that the young bobs? I got my surfboards and I, I don't surf anymore, but I still got my surfboards and wetsuits. So I just throw that on and sit on the roof of the house and wait for it to come. Well, if it's that big, it's probably going to, the house won't be standing anyways. But I, I, we're the first row of houses, so there'll be no debris coming towards us. It'll just be water. So I just got to sit up there and then as soon as it hits, just jump on and uh, not surf it, but just try to like hold on and float, float it in because it, it's the debris that kills you a lot of times in the tsunamis. Oh yeah, and I think that'd be chock full of debris once it, like the the outgoing tide from that tidal wave happens, you'd be crushed. I'd be have a chance, maybe maybe a one percent chance if lucky going in, but I don't, yeah, coming back when it goes back out, that's when I think more people get killed in the outgoing than the incoming. I think. <laughs> oh man, man, yeah. I mean, just looking at some of those, uh, some of the footage or whatever of various other uh, tsunamis, you know, the Christmas one a few years ago, and yeah, just what a nightmare! Oh god, yeah, absolute hellish nightmare that would be. Yeah, yeah. I think I watched every tsunami video you could ever watch. You know, something like that happened up at Crescent City back in the what the sixties, wasn't it? Sixty four. You know, my old boss was a cop on the beat, and he actually was the guy that went into that bar and told everyone out and they, cause he was kind of a dork and like everyone used to make fun of him. So he was like a Barney, like a, not Barney five, like Gomer pile kind of guy. And, uh, they just all made fun of him and he, he, he left and that was the, all the deaths in the town, except for two of them where everyone was in that one bar watching the wave come in, sitting at the bar ocean view. And they all got wiped out. But I guess, but they all, they all made it until, because people that were like further up could hear them and stuff. They they were they made it through the initial. It was the outgoing that they all died. Wow. Okay. So wait, now you're up by the zoo. You're in a little higher elevation. It's it's probably what a f- half hour, forty five minutes after the initial shake, I guess. Um, then what happened? Uh, I got the word John told me there was no tsunami alert. Then I looked. I got my phone and called the emergency number, and it said no tsunami alert. And I was like, all right. And so then, but Creed was like, I don't trust it. I don't want to go home. And I was like, I'm not sitting in Eureka all night. <laughs> like, uh, I'm going back. And she goes, all right. Well, so we waited like a half hour or something like that, 45 minutes and drove home. Yeah. And it, what, like you go back to sleep? I mean, how does that happen? Like, you're probably pretty stressed out at that point. I wasn't stressed out. I was, I was just kind of jacked up. Yeah, but Creed was. Yeah, she, she didn't go back to bed. <laughs> <laughs> she sat there. I mean, but I sat, I mean, I, I slept with all my clothes on. With uh, like you know, my wallet on me, keys on me, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, because aftershocks are coming. Yeah, it hasn't been too bad, really. I mean, because usually it's like when you get a big one like that, there's a lot of aftershocks. Like the ones we had in '92, where we had that 7.2 or 7.3, whatever that was. Now that was a whole different trip. That was that was way gnarlier than this 6.4. I mean, because people don't realize like 
even a six two to a six four is a huge difference. And like every every point one is a giant jump. Yeah, an exponential scale. Yeah. So no, was the other one the the one that was you know six four? This was down by what Ferndale? Is that right? Yeah, like Rowdy. I think he, he broke his his pipe saw. How Rowdy lives right where like the damage was. Oh, really? I, I checked in with him and Leiterman as well. And I was a little concerned, man, because uh, Rowdy got back to me in about 20 minutes or so. And uh, I checked in with Stephen Stroyford. Um, never heard back from him at all, but I heard from other people that he's okay. Um, and you and Leiterman. And Leiterman didn't get back to me until like 1130 last night. And I didn't even think Leiterman st- stayed up till 11 o'clock at night. Yeah, no, I, no one, I guess no one got a hold of him for a while. So I, I was thinking, man, he's going to have some – because his house is old. Yeah, and he's right on the river and stuff. So I figure if there's a tsunami there, he's screwed. And uh, he doesn't live that far from the from the ocean. But he got back and he said the communications were down for a while or something. So, but he's doing okay. And I mean, it, it, a lot like you, you know, he said stuff fell off the wall and it was scary for a little while. But he's okay. So, yeah, yeah, because you never like when there's that one like where it starts ramping up, ramping up. And like when's it going to mellow out? You know, it's that it's a not knowing like how big it's going to get. Like if they told you, oh, it's going to be like a 6.3, you know, it's going to go for a minute and a half, two and a half minutes. You're like, then you'd be like, okay, I can ride this. I go, all right, it's reached max, it's, it's maximum. So then you'd know, like, you can relax. And on this one, it started to settle down for a second. And then just this huge blast hit, it just goes, because I thought, all right, that was it. That was like a, I was like, oh, well, that was probably like a 6.0 or something like that. And then it also just, it just goes, boom, and goes, went, just like everything. That's when it was like, that's when we were trying to get out of the house, like get outside. It was like hard to walk. It was so, the house was bouncing so hard. Yeah. Yeah. Well, it must have been very frightening. And you know, what's uh, one of the good things I guess about it is that um, a lot of, a lot of love came out, you know, again, like I said, it started out this whole thing. Um, it, a lot of people are reaching out to me on, um, uh, on Twitter or emailing me or even on my um, museum Patreon asking if you're okay and whatever else. And I think a lot of it is, um, didn't, I think John Wilk put something on Facebook or something um, because Moneymaker, of all people, was leading the charge um, trying to make sure you're okay and you know, letting people know that you are or that there's some concern. I had no idea because I was just sitting here. We didn't have any power or internet or anything. Well, you know, I, I'm, I just opened Twitter on my computer here, and, and this is uh, yesterday, December 20th. Um, this is the 21st right now, by the way, for, for the people listening. It says, the earthquake in NorCal last night busted up Bobo's house pretty bad. He lives on the beach outside Eureka. He had to be evacuated for a while because of tsunami warning. Please throw him some coin to help him fix his house. Too late for that, man. Yeah, I've, I've, been, I've known you since 2004 or 2005. Your house is, has always been kind of in bad shape, man. <laughs> There was kind of like a little, yeah, there was a little miscommunication there because when I was talking to John, when, when I drove, I mean, when I left, it, like it was pitch black. There was no power. There was no lights. And the noises that we heard, like we thought, like we didn't know what happened. Like we were like, like it sounded like the whole house just was going to collapse because there was so much pops and cracks and groans and just it shook so hard. I was like, and the, and the nails, like when you dig into these places, the nails are just little bitty bitten rotten rusty things are like they're not even holding the, i don't even know how it holds together and i thought i was I'm like yeah we it's probably like there's probably some major damage a couple of pieces of siding came off the garage they're already loose i guess the fire the chimney was definitely little it's like leaning tower of pisa you know it's, it's <laughs> like, it looks a little sketchy but they said that they okayed it like they said all right you, you can have a fire in there nice well you know moneymaker went on another post from yesterday says bobo update the foundation of his beloved beach house near Eureka, California, was damaged so badly by the earthquake yesterday that he will need to move out. Lots of stress there, and over the holidays as well. Well, you know what? Again, I've, I've been going to your house for, for 15 years. You've always had to move out because your because your foundation's been damaged. We don't actually have a foundation. We're on pier and post, so it, uh, it rocks and sinks even more, but... Yeah, well, because they want—they're trying to get everyone out of these houses because our town's privately owned, and they're selling off the lots and houses one by one, as as they fix them up. And, they, and like mine's like one of the prime ones. They've been wanting wanting uh, to get us out. They're looking for an excuse to get us out. And so it was like we we're like, oh man, they're gonna like use all this damage against us. And because we thought for sure like underneath was gonna be totally like a disaster, and it wasn't much. I mean, from the pictures we took from the last earthquake, it was only like a five seven. That did more damage than this one, and 
and I'm friends with like a lot of people that work there and stuff. And they didn't red flag us. Like uh, we thought we were going to get booted. Like they, we thought they were going to use it as an excuse to get rid of us. But it, it just kind of gets bounced up and down more than sideways, I guess. Well, yeah, I, I guess your house, your house has taken some punches before, but it is nice to know that Matt's out there looking out for you and he says some kind words and trying to rally, rally the troops behind you, you know? I did. I've, I've actually genuinely touched. I'm like, wow, that's, that was awful nice of him. But yeah. You know, I mean, you know, at the bottom line, people say, you know, how people think about Moneymaker and stuff, but he's a genuinely good guy. You know, he really does care about his friends and you and I are brothers with him. Like he's our brother from another mother is all. And yeah, sure, we have disagreements. We might butt heads every once in a while, but he loves us. He loves us. I'm not sure he'd admit it publicly, but he does. I haven't had a disagreement with Matt in years. Yeah, he's, that was that was nice. And you know, I think it was when I was talking to, um, I think I was talking to Yams or Wilkerson when I said, uh, I was talking about Rock. I said I heard Rowdy's house got busted, like broken pipes and damage and stuff. And uh, I, I think like it got misconstrued. Like that was my house that had all that stuff happen to it. Yeah, well, it's, it's neat to see Matt kind of step up and do do some kind things publicly. And yeah, I got these messages saying uh, we're going to do a fundraiser for him. I'm like, what? I'm like, I don't even own this house. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> how, much, how much money do you want to pour into a rental? Exactly. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, your car could use some fixing, maybe you know, occasionally. Oh, yeah. cars, you know, but but not the house, please. I don't own it. Oh. Well, I'm every, I think everybody can breathe a sigh of relief that um, that you're okay and you know and your life isn't going to change that dramatically. So good. I got to look it up because um, I heard that they said that there's a greater than fifty percent chance of a larger earthquake within the next seven days for aftershock sort of things. No, like a whole different quake. They're saying like that the the aftershock patterns and the like uh, the, the little ones we've been having coming up and the ones that have happened up north and whatever. They're saying it, it's looking like there could be a a bigger strain. Like they, they, they think there's going to be like a, some more coming up along the fault lines. I didn't know they could predict earthquakes. I, unless you have one of those fish that turns sideways in the fish tank when they feel an earthquake, you know? Right. Um, yeah, I don't know. I, I got to look that up. I don't know. Just people are, you know, like, you know, there's a lot of rumors going around this and that. Yeah. Yeah. In fact, in, in all of our listeners, if anybody says anything on the show, it's, it's always best to look it up. Yeah, <laughs> don't take, don't listen to me, man. I'm I'm incorrect all, all the time. So, but it was exciting. Yeah, it sounds exciting. It sounds exciting. So, so Krita's calmed down. Everything's good. You know, she's an angel, right? You got to remember that she's an angel. She's not a calm, cool, collected angel. That's for sure. That doesn't matter. She's an angel, <laughs> dude. How would you like to be your girlfriend, dude? Forget it. Exactly. She's an angel, man. Yeah, because you don't want me coming up living on your couch. I don't want you living in your trailer that's in my outbuilding. <laughs> right. <laughs> Although if you had to, we, we'd, we'd do it. But don't tell Melissa I said that. She offered. Oh, I'm sure. I'm sure she offered. So those ones like, wait, he said yes? <laughs> what? <laughs> <laughs> Does he know a fake, like, just, yeah, this, was, this wasn't sincere. It was just being polite. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. So, uh, any any uh, Squatchmas uh, um, celebration plans for this weekend, Bobs? Uh, going down to Krita's mom's house for Christmas. Then we're going to go down and see my folks for a few after that. And then probably get out for a night with Bart coming back up, stopping at his place for a night and get out, do a little looking around because it's always fun. Yeah. So you, you, what time, uh, what time, what, when do you expect to be back home and by new year's or after? Oh, after for sure. Well, we have, we have about a half hour left on the podcast here and we haven't even talked about what our topic is today. Um, it's a good thing. We don't have a guest. Oh, the question is how did Bigfoot handle the earthquakes? I, I, is it? Well, you tell me how did Bigfoot handle the earthquakes? Just fine. We can move on now. Great. All right. Well, the next part of our podcast, now that we've got that over with, is, uh, you know, this is the last podcast that we're doing for the year 2022. Um, so I, we thought that this would be an appropriate time to not have a guest, not have a witness, not do Q&A, not do any of that stuff, and just kind of talk about some of the events that, for us at least as individuals, were uh, highlights of this past year. Um, and I was thinking, God, what are they? And I sat down to start thinking, because you know, we we agreed we're going to come up like three to five or something of them, you know? Um 
I started thinking, God, that's really hard to think. Like, what, what actually went on? And I thought of maybe two things or whatever. So, you know, I don't know. So I started going through my phone and um, looking back at the photographs. Um, and I was like, wait a minute. All sorts of stuff happened this year. Just tons of stuff. More than we can even cover in an hour program. So, so yeah, we've got a lot to talk about, Bobo. Did, did you did you do your homework, Bobo? Um, I thought I did, but the, the one of the articles I found was not from this year. I just read it this year, and it was actually a couple years old. And <laughs> uh-huh. I was trying to think of, uh, and I was like, I'll think of something. And I was like, God, I can't think of anything like really stand out from this year, really. Really. Yeah, I, th- that's how I started too. So that's why I kind of wanted to put it to you. Number one, because be, it, it was hard to think of things um, until I went back to my phone and looked at all the photographs that I took this year. Then I realized, oh my God, there's so much stuff. And number two, I've always kind of, in a weird sort of like masochistic sort of way, I, I've always kind of wanted to be the teacher asking Bobo if you've done your homework. Uh, usually, yes. Usually, yes. No, you're a good student. You're a smart guy. All right. Well, looking, did you come up with anything? What, like, what, what would be the, the one or two things that you did come up with? Like, what do you think that, uh, uh, what was important this year that actually did happen? You guys, well, for me, it was you guys rediscovering the Freeman film site and getting measurements. That was probably the biggest thing for me. Well, yeah, I think that was an, uh, an important thing. I and mean, we always knew where it was, is over at the Deduck Springs um, on the other side of the pond, by the way, which is not called Deduck Pond, it's called Walden Pond. Um, it's got a little trivia there for you, but everybody else calls it D-Duck Pond. Um, yeah, uh, going back there at the NABC team and, and filming at the film site and taking measurements and stuff uh, and trying to wrap our heads around a little bit about what happened there that day on the Freeman film uh, site on August 20th, 1992. Um, by the way, it is 1992. Their, uh, Sasquatch Legend Meets Science, the great documentary, has it as 1994. And because of that, other sources also have it as 1994, but it's not true. It's 1992. Um, so that's a, an error out there. Um, but yeah, th- I thought that that was a fairly important thing um, to have been done because uh, no one else has really done it. And of course, if you are a member of Bigfoot and Beyond podcast, um, if you are a subscriber um, and you get that extra you know, 45 minutes or so of content every single week, you have probably seen the video that we filmed out there at at D-Duck Springs. Um, a little bit more work needs to be done. I'm missing a measurement. After all that time I spent out there, I need one more measurement to really get a wrap my Which head around one? how big that thing. What I Well, see, the thing is, where Freeman was standing about 60-something feet away, I've got it written down, I can't remember, um, which isn't that far away. It's really close, especially when you're there, my God. Um, and the thing walks behind that stump, that big stump, which is now cut down, I might add, so we can't use that as a as a height estimate, um, it walks behind the stump and walks behind a tree and comes out between that other fir tree and the other and the stump. Um, where it walked is actually at a different level than in front of the stump. So even if he did measure the front of the stump, and they say it was about seven feet tall, I guess Bill Lowry and Wes Summerlin went out there and they and uh, the records show that it's about seven feet tall. Um, it does kind of doesn't matter because we don't know how. We don't know the difference in elevation between the ground at the front of the stump and the back of the stump. So that's the one thing left that I have to go back and measure. And and that area is going to be inaccessible um, until probably July. So I have to, I, I'm, I'm planning a trip to the blues this year. What's the, what's the elevation? Oh, I don't know. I mean, probably 4,000 feet or something. Yeah, but I'm not talking about that kind of elevation. I'm talking about just like a foot and a half difference. You know, it's somewhere between a foot and maybe two and a half feet difference. I don't know. I'd have to go check it out. But I need to know how the the difference between the ground level behind the stump and the ground level in front of the stump. And then, uh, and of course, the fur that the thing walks by, um, I have, I believe, I have two sources. One of them is from Freeman's own mouth. And he said the thing was 16 and a half feet tall, if I remember right. What? Oh, the tree. No, no, not the animal, not the animal, <laughs> no, the tree. Um, and, and I think that's what it is. I got that from one of the... Um, one of the interviews Freeman did at a Western Bigfoot Society meeting um, that's been published on Todd Prescott's fantastic YouTube channel, Sasquatch Archives. Um, I think he, I think he said it was the tree was six and a, sixteen and a half feet tall. Let's go back and verify that, of course. Um, and then somewhere else is about sixteen feet. So I got to figure that out. The tree's not that big now; it's like twenty-five or thirty feet tall or more. Um, so we can't really use that. But there's a couple other things we might be able to use to get a good size on the figure. Now, um, it's been published that that thing's about seven feet tall. I don't think it's that big. 
um, which isn't surprising because it was also published that the Patterson-Gimlin film subject is about seven feet tall, and I don't think she's that big either. Um, I think she's much shorter than that, somewhere between six and six and a half feet tall. Um, and I think that's probably the case with the Freeman subject as well. With jibes pretty well with the footprint size because Patty, um, the Patterson-Gimlin film subject, was her feet were about 14 and a half inches long. And uh, the feet of the uh, Freeman footage subject were about 13 and a half or so inches long. So probably a female. And we also know that the size of her feet didn't change over a period of a couple of years because we have her footprints. Um, we have casts of her footprints dating back to at least 91 and I think 90 if I have to check my records. So her f- foot size didn't change, which probably implies that she was done growing. And I say she because of the size and I'm, I'm assuming she's a female based on the sexually dimorphic traits of apes in general. Um yeah, so that kind of jives. But man, she looks really big, doesn't she? If you've seen the foot, the footage that we posted on our Patreon site, she's big. And maybe not tall, but she's big. But her arms are kind of thin for how big she is, I think. Yeah, well, her torso, that's what blows me away. Does that, Her torso is just nuts. Just holy, like front to back and left, like the whole thing. She's just giant. It's like Patty again. And it kind of matches that female, what we assume is a female that Dennis Full filmed in Kentucky walking away. Yeah, very similar in body shape. Very similar in body shape. Yeah. That's one of the things I always liked about those photographs from 1988 that uh, Dwayne Freeman got. Um, Dwayne Freeman also photographed some stuff. And that's very, very reminiscent of that same shape, which is the same shape that Patty has as she, you know, those really, at, at the end of the Patterson Gimlin film, as she's walking away through the, through, through the brush or whatever, um, or not, not really brush, but you know, um, when she's a good distance from the, the camera, she has that same general sort of apish body shape, you know, real low head and everything. Very, very impressive in my opinion. Very impressive. But, um, you know, speaking of the Freeman thing, I'd, I'd say the, the release of the Freeman book has to be one of the significant things that happened this year. I was going to say that, yeah. The other stuff I could think of was um, all like paleoarchaeology. Like what? Like just the discoveries of, of, you know, like early hominins and stuff like that, like break from Neanderthals, just different information like that. Yeah, you know, the one thing, uh, as far as pa- um, paleoanthropology goes, this year, um, this year's um, discovery, the one that struck me the, the most um, was the idea that Homo naledi used fire, which is very interesting to me. Very interesting to me. Um, the Homo naledi, of course, is known from, I think, the Rising Star Cave, if I remember correctly. Um, uh, and they, they discovered a lot, like 40 or more individuals in this one particular area, in this one cave. And um, the, the cave is very hard to get into. And uh, generally speaking, that the guy who discovered them, I mean, he, was, he didn't, dis- I don't, I think somebody went in there and brought a piece out and he published on it. So he gets kind of credit, but it's his team that did it. Um, he, and he hired, um, a, 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 an army basically of women paleoanthropologists because the cave is so small that he needed small bodied people to get down in there and do the, do the dirty work, you know, get down in there and dig these fossils out. So the, the guy's name is Lee Berger. He lost, he, he, I mean, talk about dedication. He lost like 40 pounds or 50 pounds or something like that of weight in order to fit down into the cave to go see the location for himself. And when he got down to the chamber where all these fossils were coming out of, um, he looked up and what did he see? He saw black soot, like carbon, on the ceiling of the cave. And the only way that gets there is by fire. So that, that and that's a new discovery. That's like the last couple of months or so that this was published, um, and, and so it, it's a big deal, man. Because Homo naledi is a fairly um, like what's the, what's the right term? Maybe archaic. I don't know. Like an early uh, like he, the, Homo naledi has features of early hominins. Um, so it, it's a really it's a big thing because they didn't know if these things were using fire or not, and they also didn't know how these things got down in caves like that far down into the earth. Was this a sinkhole that opened up and just swallowed a whole troop of these things, a whole tribe of these Homo naledi? Or was it a burial chamber? I mean, what what's the deal? Or or has the geography changed that much? But now that they um, have found that these things apparently had some sort of fire technology, well, that changes everything. How old was the radiocarbon dating on the on the ash and soot? Oh, don't quote me on it, but it's 100,000 years-ish, something like that. 
Yeah, don't quote me on that, but I, I believe the Homo naledi's fossils are thought to be about 100,000 years old. That kind of changes everything with Homo naledi, though. That, that's really interesting. Which, of course, that means that they're probably not the Sasquatches or the Bigfoot-like things that are in South Africa, where the uh, Rising Star Cave is. Um, the Otang, as um, Gareth Patterson, our previous guest on this podcast, talked about. Because those things don't seem to use fire. So it's kind of interesting. And that's one of the things that I, kind of helps us zero in on the origin of Sasquatches in general, in my opinion, is uh, um, you know, Sasquatches aren't really thought to use fire. You know, Brandishing a burning stick and throwing it around isn't using and creating and controlling fire. So it seems to me, I mean, I don't know how you feel about this, Bobo, but it seems to me that uh, fire would be too useful a technology to abandon once that behavior is gained. So I think that for the origins of Sasquatch, we have to look before the the first hominins um, that used fire. If these things are indeed hominins, they might be something else. We don't really know. Well, the local tribes here said that they used to use fire, but then when the whites showed up with guns, that they quit using fire. But I don't. That doesn't sound right to me. But you know, Bobo. So that but Lee Berger, um, even though he discovered this fire use by Homo naledi on December third on Twitter, he posted something. And if you're not, if you're on Twitter, by the way, not only should you follow me and Bobo and Matt Pruitt and everybody like that, and Bigfoot and Beyond podcast because we have our Twitter handle as well. But you really should be following Lee Berger and a, a whole slew of other people who are paleoanthropologists. There's a lot of interesting things going on nowadays. But um, but uh, Lee Berger, but his handle by the way is at Lee R Berger, B E R G E R. Um, so uh, on December third, he he posted this, and I'm reading it, so it's a quote right here. So I ha- I have a terrible, shameful admission: the fire. It's not the big discovery I've been tweeting about. There's a bigger one. Actually, there are three bigger than fire coming. Sorry, I'm not sorry. That sounds pretty amazing to me. That sounds like a really good reason to be following Lee Berger's uh, Twitter page and seeing what this dude's up to. So I'm I'm pretty excited about it. And I, I, if you're into Bigfoot and hominins and that kind of thing in general, there's very good reason you should be excited about this too. Um, studying the evolution of humans is one of the most important things you can do if you're a Bigfooter. So um, jump on in, man. There's a lot going on right now. It's the golden age of paleoanthropology right now. It's exciting. I think I said paleoarchaeology earlier. Yeah, you, you might. You said something, but I know what you're talking about. Yeah. So yeah, the the Freeman stuff it was really important, and there there has been some really interesting advances in paleoanthropology. Um, but you know, looking back in my photo albums and stuff, and looking at what happened this past year, I've got a couple things that I think are pretty significant. Um, like first of all, uh, in March and in May. Um, the team here at the NABC found footprints, found footprints in our study area. And because of that, we've been going back to the same area and, and just, just like some other people before us, just like Patterson and just like Freeman and cetera and some other people, it eventually yielded a sighting. We had a sighting. I did not see it. Um, my employees, a couple of my employees caught a glimpse of this thing, um, in August, in August. So um, if, if you're a member of the museum, you'll be getting more information about that really soon. But yeah, uh, so once again, data, research data has yielded results. If And for the, you Bigfoot field people out there, if you use your data, if you use the information that you are gathering to focus and, 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 and drive your research, results will happen. Um, but yeah, so that's the last big news, I guess. So we actually, one of my team members here had a sighting out at our location that we nicknamed Easter Island. Um, that's about the last thing that, well, that's not true, actually. Because um, another interesting thing that happened this year is that we had a friend of the show and a former guest, Darren Nash, Dr. Darren Nash, um, come visit. Um, and I was lucky enough to go take him to Easter Island. And for a walkabout, and because I, you know, he's he he has written a skeptical book, but he's very interested in mystery animals, as he calls them. Um, had him at the house for dinner. Um, showed him the cast collection. Um, he was very impressed with a lot of it. He, he had some very kind words to say. Um, things like Sasquatch is the best supported of the cryptids, in his opinion, um, with data and evidence and whatnot. By far. Oh yeah, easily, easily. So uh, Nico and I took him on a walk out at Easter Island because that's the spot where footprints have been coming out of lately, and um, we didn't. Well, we found one maybe footprint, a maybe, 
And if you're a member of the NABC, and by the way, thank you to all our listeners here who uh, have become members of the North American Bigfoot Center. We really appreciate that. Um, and I, once we posted the Freeman videos on the Bigfoot and Beyond membership area, um, we you know, another five or eight people hopped on board at the North NABC, and we appreciate that. But uh, if if you are a member, you'll be seeing the footprint, the possible footprint in the ground. But so we got to show them a possible footprint that was pretty weather beaten. But between that spot where, where the footprint was and by the time we got back to the car, we heard three distinct noises that none of us could explain if Bigfoots aren't real. Um, and, and Darren himself said that the first one that we heard sounded like an adolescent human yelling. About halfway back to our vehicles on the hike, we heard a scream, just a straight out scream um, from a good distance away. Just, ah! which I, I, he was also, I think, rather impressed with. And then by the time we got back to the car, we were like milling about. It looked like we were packing up, even though we intended to stay a little bit longer. So we're kind of putting things in the car and just, you know, like talking and stuff. And then from the valley we just left, we heard a, a pretty good, a pretty deep, not, not a super loud tree knock, but it sounded like wood on wood. Um, and so on that walk, we got a poss maybe possible old footprint, nothing you can take to the bank, and then three possible noises. Um, so and it was cool, man, because you know, I don't know what those sounds were. I mean, they might have been a Sasquatch. I don't know what else they would have been. Um, and then Darren is very familiar with the woods. I mean, he lives in the UK. Uh, so maybe he's not familiar with the North American stuff so much as much as he is in the as the European stuff, but he didn't know what those sounds were either. So it's kind of neat to take a, a a skeptic, and he's skeptical and appropriately so. By the way, I'm not saying he's a he's a scoffic. He's skeptical as as a, as anybody with his credentials and intelligence should be. Um, but it's kind of neat to take people out and then have them experience something that isn't easily explained away. I love that. That's the best. You're just you're like you're like there in your face. <laughs> well, it wasn't quite like that. We're our friends after all, <laughs> but uh, and it, we're friends. Maybe we're not so f f such friends. I can go in your face, Nash. Told you, jackass. Oh, no, he, he's a he's a good guy. I had him over dinner, and yeah, he was a very very sweet man, very articulate and fun, and really interested in the mystery animals and well versed and, and and pretty well versed in a lot of the data and information and yeah. That was the old Bob's talking. <laughs> well, you know, I hate to tell you, Bob's, but you're old now. I know. I, <laughs> I, I accept it. Stay tuned for more Bigfoot and Beyond with Cliff and Bobo. We'll be right back after these messages. You know, you know when you're talking about what was the big events of 2022, I was like, well, what was big like to the the world or the Bigfoot community or to us. Cause one thing I thought was a pretty big deal that turned out not to be a big deal to the rest of people was Dr. Gregory fourth. That we had on the show losing his book between ape and human. Yeah. He, he says the Lee Hoa, the little like a uh, homo floresiensis type creature down the islands down there. He thought he, he put a book out saying he thinks he might still be alive or just went extinct within the last hundred years. Maybe. That is a huge step forward, especially with somebody, uh, somebody like uh, um, like Gregory Fourth saying that. You know, when somebody of his caliber says something, I think a lot of people perk up their ears and listen. Um, they may not be, you know, taking that and running with it. Just like a, you know, Doctor Meldrum, for example, shares that there's a lot of people out there who have an interest in the subject that aren't willing to share. It. And even Darren, Darren told me that while we're in the garage together. He goes, Cliff, you may not seem like it, but there's a lot of people in academia who are watching what's going on. Um, and being very hopeful. They're not convinced, but they're very hopeful, which is, you know, frankly, a really good reason um, for us to watch what we say and do in public, you know, especially people with a, any sort of high profile situation. Um, luckily, no one listens to this podcast. So we don't have to worry about it. But um, which is a joke, by the way, of course, a lot of a lot more people listen to this podcast than I ever thought would be possible. And we couldn't be more grateful. Thank you. But um, but, you know, when people are out there listening in academia, um, it, it kind of reminds me, it's like, oh yeah, we have a responsibility to present ourselves as, as the best we can, um, in the most scientific light as possible. Speak for yourself. Well, I, okay. I have that responsibility. You just have a responsibility to be the bobes as loud as you can. And luckily that's the way you roll. So. Yeah. And speaking of academics, like you had uh, Pat Spain on, I missed that episode, episode 98, but he had mentioned that he had a colleague 
that uh, knew of an older researcher scientist that told him that the uh, Lihoa survived at least until the 1920s and he could prove it. And then the guy subsequently died before he got the information. Yeah, if Homo floresiensis persisted until the 1920s, that would be absolutely mind-boggling, earth-shattering news. I mean, it would make your earthquake look like nothing. Like, that would be fantastic. Um, But, you know, um, Pat Spain actually reached out to me recently. Um, He has apparently another book coming out soon, so you're going to get a chance to meet him because he asked if he could come back on the podcast and of course, I said, "Oh, absolutely." So I'm, and but it's the holidays right now, so we're having a hard time connecting. But um, I think early in 2023, we can look forward to having Pat Spain back on as a guest. And Pat Spain is a fantastic uh, guest. He's really articulate, super funny. Um, he's been on TV. I, I forget the name of his show because I don't watch much t- television. But he has so many neat stories, and he has a he's gone out looking for the Orang Pendek. He's gone out looking for um, the Mapping Guadi. Um, yeah, he, he's interested in these sort of things that we're talking about, and. Um, and he's a biologist on top of it, like legitimate scientist. Um, he's pro- professional employed as a scientist. So um, he's the kind of guest that I'd love to have on. So I'm looking forward to having him back on this coming year here. So That'd be great. Yeah. Well, um, something else that I thought was, I mean, again, I, you know, I know, I know that we kind of talked, well, what's important in 2022? And then we, and I, you were just kind of touching on this problem that I have. It's like, well, what do you mean important? Do you mean important to the community? Do you important for the subject? Important for what? And then it's like, at the end of the day, I don't really know. I don't really know what important is except for what's important to me. So I kind of went back and like, what, what made a difference for me in Bigfoot this coming year? And obviously, we've already touched on the Freeman stuff, including the book. Um, Boba, do you have a copy of the book yet? No. Oh, man, you need one. I'm going to set one aside for you, okay? I'm going to buy one for you for your birthday, okay? Or no, no, birthday, for Christmas. Christmas? Yeah, Christmas, which to me is your birthday too. Because um, <laughs> I'm so Christ-like. <laughs> exactly. Well, more like uh, I always picture um, your house is kind of like that manger in a way, you know? Uh-huh. Yeah, like I, I always picture you lying in bed. You're really more like lying in that manger surrounded by animals and animal dung and hay. <laughs> <laughs> Swaddled. Yeah, and Karita's like 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 Mary sitting there making sure that you're okay and stuff and – you know, and I always picture Joseph to be more like the cop that's outside the window making sure, you know. Well, anyway, um, so anyway, I'm going to buy you a copy of the Freeman book, autographed, by the way, for, for uh, Christmas this year. So um, I've been, I, we're sold out right now, but we've got another bunch coming here real soon. How'd you get Paul Freeman to sign that? Oh, we forged a signature. Okay. Actually, no, Michael Freeman. Um, Michael Paul Freeman. That's Michael's middle name. Michael Freeman is the guy who signed it. And then um, I'm going to, I'll go ahead and sign my chapter. And um, Dr. Meldrum is going to be out here at the museum by the end of January. So he can sign his chapters and blah, blah, blah. Oh, cool. Oh, yeah. It's going to be great. And Tom Powell, he was just in the museum today. He wrote a chapter for it because he was lucky enough to host Paul Freeman at his house for the very last interview we ever did. But but again, moving on from Freeman, um, one of the things in, in, in my big footing situation that has made a big difference to me is the acquisition of the Chuck Edmonds collection. Uh, Charles Edmonds. Um, he's probably best known for drawing that artistic rendering of the house uh, or the, the handprint on the side of the house in Fort Bragg. Um, and, and his entire collection was, was donated to the North American Bigfoot Center by his uh, daughter, Heather. Um, so yeah, we have his research notes. We have piles of UFO magazines from the like early 1960s. Um, he was really interested in UFOs and other strange things like that. Um, he has a, a Sasquatch fingerprint um, compared to another human fingerprint, probably his own. There is an original cast that I think is probably fake, but nonetheless, it's cool to have historical um, items here. Um, see, because uh, back in 19, what am I stretching here? 63, I think there was a sighting on the Lewis River. Um, John Green wrote about it in his book and uh, word got out. And then a few days later, uh, Chuck Edmonds went up there and found footprints and I, and down the river a bit from where the actual sighting was. Apparently John Green was with him at the time, I believe. And, um, and he cast it, but I think in the meantime, somebody went out and they tromped around in some stompers because the, the, this footprint I don't believe is real. Um, but I think the sighting was because the people have interviewed the, the person and whatever else. And it was apparently not exactly in the same location, um, but I'm kind of still sorting through that stuff. 
but yeah, getting to your, you know, you know, the big, the, the handprint drawing, um, of the, on the side of the house there with the human handprint all in black. And then there's Sasquatch, you can, the hair drawn in behind it and whatever else is reprinted in John Green's book that was based on the, uh, the tracing of the handprint that the police officers did at the house when they investigated. Um, and, and that, that to me is the cherry on top of the cake here. That's the, 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 the cream of the collection there because that original piece of art is now on display at the North American Bigfoot Center. So along with the, the Sasquatch thumbprint. Did you read through his notes? Did you find anything really interesting or? I think his notes are incomplete. Actually. I, I read through everything I have. Um, and, and there's not a lot of notes per se, but there is a mountain of reel to reel tapes that I'm, I'm still slowly and distractingly, um, going through and digitizing audio or film. Audio tapes, audio tapes. There's a few photographs in there that are originals as well, um, but audio tapes, reel-to-reel audio tapes. And um, um, but the the gem that I've pulled out so far is um, uh, the interview with the witnesses in the Fort Bragg house. So like like firsthand, that's what they saw. They're describing it. So that, that's a really oh, neat thing. cool. Yeah, yeah. I, I have a digital copy of that. It's not very long. I wish it was a little bit longer. Yeah, so to, to me, the Chuck Edmonds collection, oh, there's more out there apparently too, because I guess Chuck Edmonds' niece, I believe, contacted the museum and said, hey, I understand my aunt or whoever, or my mom or who, I can't remember the connection, um, gave uh, uh, Chuck stuff to the museum. I have some other stuff. Maybe you would like to have that too. And you go, oh, absolutely. So we're kind of waiting for that to show up. Um, hopefully the, the woman remembers and follows through on that. So that's pretty exciting. Yeah, so the Chuck Edmonds thing is a neat start, and it's definitely a highlight of, one of the highlights of this past year for me. And the museum, of course. So, right. Yeah. One thing I saw that was uh, not necessarily Bigfoot related, but just interesting that the black bears of the Southwest and the Western U.S. are evolving to be. There's more cinnamon bears than there was for the last nine thousand years. They've been slowly trending towards being more and more cinnamon colored. I wonder why that is. They said there was some kind of recessive gene that popped up, like a red red hair gene that grizzlies also have, and others other species but yeah it's not on the east coast or the southeast just uh on the on the west and southwest because i was thinking that'd be interesting if because you know there's a lot more of those <clears throat> reddish colored ones so it seems like from the southeast u.s i was thinking like, was there something there that that's causing the reddish hue and but no there's no overlap with the black bears well, that's interesting. And of course, you know, red is an important color in nature and, you know, orangutans are red. Sasquatch hair always shines red when backlit. Um, it's a little known fact, but it's true. Um, although fact might be a pretty strong word for what I just said, but it seems to be true. Um, trend, maybe that's a better word. But, um, and of course, the reason for that is that the red wavelengths of light disappear first under the forest canopy. Um, just, uh, so, so anything that is red under the forest canopy in low light conditions will eventually appear black if the, if the light is not strong enough. And uh, that's what, that's why deep sea fish are, they tend to, to be red and orange and whatnot, because in the depths of the ocean where the light waves don't reflect or get down that far and reflect off them, they appear black first, which makes me wonder, like, why not just appear black, like a black bear? You know, as opposed to like a reddish color black bear. If if that's even the reason for this reddish trend, I don't really know. Yeah, it's like a ninjas would wear red and purple robes and stuff because those colors go pretty invisible in the dark. Yeah, yeah, same sort of thing, same sort of thing. Although, did where did you hear that about ninjas? Of course, you're you're way more up on your ninja technology than I am. Uh, Flippy told me that. Who's a, a real ninja? Yeah, yeah, Flippy, who actually really is a ninja, um, studied ninjutsu. Um, he would be the source for all my ninja knowledge as well. Yeah. You and Flippy. Oh, let's see. You know, um, when I was going back through my photographs, one of the things that caught my attention is that last January, I, I almost, I didn't even know if it was this year or not, I did an event out in Etna, California, kind of outside of Wairika in that general area. Yeah, Dennis Jensen invited me out. Dennis Jensen, there's two Bigfooters named Dennis Jensen, by the way. One of them was Roger Patterson's cohort, and he has passed away now, unfortunately. Um, but there's another guy, Dennis Jensen, um, who lives down in Etna. Super nice guy, really neat guy. Kind of, well, I should probably, I need to give him a call and try to get him on the podcast. He'd be a fun guy to talk to. Yeah, for sure. You met Dennis, didn't you? Yeah, yeah, he's good. He's cool. Really nice guy. Yeah, I stayed at his house one night when I was down there and just kind of reached out on a whim and said, you want to come down and do this? And I said, well, you know what? I, I do. I do. Uh, it's kind of one of these unpaid uh, events. I got a couple free beers out of it and that was it, you know. Um, but I, when I went down there, 
And um, Dennis uh, donated to the museum while I was down there uh, a handful of photographs, not not the actual copies, but he let me you know, take pictures of his photographs. Um, but he actually donated um, a, an original cast by a, a, um, this unknown legend of Bigfooting, um, someone you and I know of, but very few other people do. I think the early oh, guys Mel. knew about him. Yeah, Mel Hester. Mel Hester, um, who lived out in Hyam Palm, California. Um, I never had a chance to meet him, although you and I showed up on his doorstep and tried to speak to him. And he kind of ran us off a little bit because, you know, we're ne'er-do-well showing up on his doorstep in Hyam. Oh, you never, you never got to go in and talk to him and stuff? You, you did, didn't you? No, no, no. We, we, we showed up and he came out and kind of, I'm sure he was packing and said, what are you guys doing? I said, oh, we, we blah, 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 Bigfoot. And he went like, oh, not today, guys, and kind of ran us off. Oh, yeah. You know, Dennis Jensen's the one who hooked me up with him. I thought you were with me when I went, because I went to his house a few times and hung out with him. No kidding. Wow. What was he like? I never had a chance to meet him. He was a classic old cowboy, like cowboy poet guy. One of those guys who does the cowboy poetry. Yeah. And what exactly is cowboy poetry? You never, you never seen those guys? I don't know. Oh, it's, uh, you got, I, don't, I can't explain the whole thing. It's just, they, it's like a genre of poetry. It's, it, it's pretty cool. All right. I'll, I'll, I'll try to check that out. I'll look it up. Yeah. Um, he did that. He wrote, he wrote some books, you know, like, um, on that sort of things. And he's, a, he's a really interesting guy. He's the guy that told me that well, he was good friends with Lyle Laverty. He stayed in touch with Lyle Laverty up until he died, who, of course, took the pictures of the PG film site track where the next morning he was a young guy working for the Forest Service who ended up becoming the undersecretary of the Department of the Interior, which he was the second guy in char- second in command of 53% of all U.S. land mass. So, I mean, he was a pretty important guy. And he told me that he goes, he goes, he won't admit it, but he told me, I know for a fact, he's seen him twice. He's seen him on, on fires in Six Rivers National Forest back in the 70s. When he was with a, he was with a con crew with a couple dozen guys, and they were cutting a fire line. It was twilight, and this thing walked through the middle of a big male, walked like a big eight, nine-footer, just walked casually. They watched it for a couple hundred yards, and then it, it was gone. And then he, I, can't remember the other, I can't remember the other story now. And I told Perez that, and Perez interviewed Lyle, and Lyle denied it. Oh, really? Okay, I, I think I have. I think I have a copy of Perez's um, interview. Uh, for a couple, for a little while there, Daniel, uh, you know, Daniel's a good researcher and everything. He's not super technologically savvy, and I think I don't think he would disagree with me on that. Um, so he asked me to digitize a couple of his um, of, of his of his interviews, um, which I was more than happy to do because he interviewed like. Um, you know, Titmus, for example, um, really, really interesting stuff. But yeah, so I, I, I didn't know that. So, um, how long did you have an opportunity to talk to Mel? I spent a whole afternoon with him one time, and then another time I was there, uh, we went and had dinner at the bar, and then we drove around a little bit. He showed me, he showed me spots. He showed me like the ponds where he got tracks. He, he took me to the places where he found tracks in the past, and most of them were like wintertime, springtime. Was it up on the uh, was a Salmon Ridge? Is that right? Uh, I can't remember the name of the ridges, but they were mostly north of town. Uh, the pond was north of northeast of town, High and Palm. And he took me to some places to keep an eye keep an eye on these places. But it was such a far drive from my house. Like I had to go by fifty other Bigfoot spots to get to that spot. So I didn't really go out there much. Yeah, well, High and Palm's a long way from anywhere, man. It is, and the people out there weren't. It wasn't the coolest crowd living out there is just a bunch of weirdo pot growers outlaw types yeah a lot of tweakers people live there for a reason remember, remember we were there we, we said hi to those guys and they tried to start a fight with us that day uh, well this is a shady area man a super shady area i have nothing to fear man i've got bobo with me i saw i see i was like we'll, we'll clean these guys clocks like remember that they said i go how's it going boys he goes who you calling boy i wear a <laughs> i wear a, i use a five gallon bucket for a cup oh i do remember that that's aw- yeah what a weird thing what a weird thing like how do you walk then yeah yeah talk about junk who wants that <laughs> <laughs> oh man oh yeah so anyway yeah got an original cast got a mel hester cast maybe one of the only ones in existence how big is it oh it's what about 16 i think he had three or four at his house. I remember. I think he even had like a knuckle or hand cast. I thought like none of them were great, but you could see him. Yeah, 
Yeah. Well, you know, if you know what you're looking at, like if you're casting most of the stuff you come across, most of them aren't going to look great. We've been uh, preconditioned by things like the the 82 cast or the Patterson cast or or you know a lot of the the, the Blue Mountain stuff. We've been kind of preconditioned that they should look like this, but the majority of the Sasquatch footprints you find out there are are kind of vague. You know, most people would walk right over them. And that's why if you come into the North American Bigfoot Center, we have on the wall out here, because um, we, we sell various casts, you know, casts that I either own the rights to or I, I can give uh, royalties to the people who actually own them. Um, I keep one on the wall. It's actually a Lori Jo Hamilton cast. Um, and we keep one on the wall. And she goes, and I go, well, this is what most footprints look like. And it just looks like a big blob. And then I go, well, but this is a beautiful cast. And let me show you. And then I outline the heel and I show where the toes are. And everybody sees it. Everybody sees it after I point it out. And they go, oh, my God. Yeah, look at that. Um, and it's a beautiful cast. But um, it, it takes an eye to see these things, which is why most people just walk right over them. I'm sh- I shudder to think of how many tracks I've walked right over or stepped on that were like faint. And I was just going too quickly, not paying attention. Yeah, you got to walk slow, and and you know that that's one of the graces of getting older is that like I'm not really I'm really not in a hurry anymore to get anywhere, and um, I do take the time and I do walk. I walk slow anyway, um, but the, the older I get, the slower I walk, which drives Melissa nuts. I'm slower, but at least my eyesight's going. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah, well, I don't know, man. I don't know. So yeah, I, I I may have one of the only Mel Hester casts in existence at this point, um, because I understand when he died, like the tweakers descended on his house and stole everything yep. before his family could come in. They did. Yeah, that was a shame. Yeah, that because he he didn't have a lot of stuff, but he had some stuff. He had a couple of books, you know, on the shelf, and he didn't have like a that I saw anyways. But he had no, you know, some spiral notebooks and some sketches, stuff like that. That was cool. I, I don't remember it all because it was like 20 years ago, but or 15 years ago at least. But yeah, he was, you know, a big cowboy guy and he, he, he wasn't afraid to talk smack to all the tweakers out there because, you know, he was the old, old school OG guy. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> all right, Bob. So I guess that pretty much sums up the year. Nothing else happened except for what we talked about in this last hour. Although it did seem to take a year for that last year to happen. So, but Actually, a lot happened, and then a lot of things we didn't even mention. You know, like like uh, the Krantz book came out, Laura Krantz's book. We got the uh, Bigfoot influencers. We just had Tim Halloran on. Um, lots of stuff happened, but uh, I guess uh, before we end this year, we really should thank our listeners because th- they're fantastic. And it's not just my opinion here, but we have some numbers to prove it. I mean, we, we've had over two million downloads this year alone. Two point two. Is it two point two? Yeah, I know it's over two million. Pretty ast- astonishing. Um, we have a, a, a thriving Patreon community right now, which is awesome. Um, people just can't seem to get enough of us, which I find bewildering, but I really, really do appreciate. Yeah. So there's, there's a Patreon thing happening where you get extra content, uh, every single week, another 45 minutes of Cliff and Bobes really, really appreciate every, all the kind words that have been coming in and basically all the love, man. So thank you very much to our listeners. And also Bobo, thank you. I've had a good time doing this for a job. This isn't a bad one. No, this is great. It's the only, the only bad part is trying to s- coordinate times when we have guests or anyone else on. Oh, I know. I know. You try to schedule Bobo. Wait, wait. You do that every day. I, I mean, yeah, it's <laughs> tough, man. <laughs> I gave up. No, I mean, between my schedule and your schedule, it's, it's, it's tough to do this. But, you know, it's worth it at the end because uh, have you been – I mean, sure, we get, every once in a while we get a, a nasty email from some, you know – some self-loathing loathing person or whatever. But by and large, 95 or, or Cliff and lo- Cliff and Bob's loathing. Yeah. <laughs> There's a lot of loathers out there. <laughs> um, but yeah, but by and large, man, the positive emails um, that keep coming in, the kind words from people, people are saying stuff like, yeah, I, I was ill, like with sometimes with cancer and, and crazy life-threatening stuff. And they're saying, yeah, your, your, your podcast helped me get through that. Or, you know, we listened to you on our, on our wedding day. That happened just recently. Or, um, there's just so many kind words pouring in. You know, what's way more important than sending us the emails is we got to thank the, the listeners for, as we ask them to do, go on and give us a rating and a review. And we've gotten a bunch of those coming in. They've all been great. And that's helped grow the show also. So thanks for that. You don't got to tell us we're, you don't, you don't tell us we're great. Tell the general public we're great. <laughs> 
<laughs> no, this is a good time. And, and I think uh, speaking for Bobo and I and Pruitt, um, we're all very, very pleased to be here and very happy that you're enjoying this. Um, and it's, it, it's, one of the, I say I say this a lot at the museum because people come in and you know they're maybe starstruck or some nonsense because they oh I didn't think you were going to be here we love your show and all this stuff and at this point in the game man like that doesn't make me any money that doesn't do anything really for me except it brings smiles to other people you know yeah. and, and, and the older I get the more I the more I realize that that is the real value of almost anything that we do um, we yeah maybe we. Maybe we'll run across some interesting evidence. I'm, I'm trying real hard on that, but Bobo and I aren't going to prove this. Once again, speak for yourself. Well, okay. Well, Bobo might be going to maybe maybe Bobo will prove this, but it seems to me that the least I can do uh, is is bring somebody a smile, you know. And if I can do that, and Bobo and I can make your day a little bit brighter, then that's something for us to be thankful for. Yeah, like the Buddha said, the greatest thing you can do in this world with your life is relieve the suffering of others. And I've had a lot of people tell us. I've watched your show or listened to your podcast when I was in the hospital or like, you know, the dying parent or spouse or child, whatever. And they said, your show brought us relief and, you know, a little getaway. And it was, they appreciate that. So that always, that's, that's the best thing you can hear for sure. Yeah. And you know, it's the funny thing about that, Bobo, is that they're thanking us, but in, in all honesty, we, sh- we should be thanking them. Yeah, for sure. I'm always like, oh, we didn't do anything. We just were having, we were having fun. <laughs> yeah, we're having fun. Probably we'd be talking once a week anyway. Probably uh, we we could we in all rights want to thank our listeners um, for giving us this opportunity to you know spread a little joy, a little bit of love, and you know have some fun along the way. And thank you very much for coming along on the ride with us. Exactly. Take us home, Bobs. End this year right. All right, folks. I'm glad y'all kept it squatchy in 2022. Looking forward to even squatchier 2023. So until then, y'all keep it squatchy. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of Bigfoot and Beyond. If you liked what you heard, please rate and review us on iTunes. Subscribe to Bigfoot and Beyond wherever you get your podcasts and follow us on Facebook and Instagram at Bigfoot and Beyond Podcast. You can find us on Twitter at Bigfoot and Beyond, that's an N in the middle, and tweet us your thoughts and questions with the hashtag Bigfoot and Beyond. 